everybody and depending what time you're listening, good morning, good afternoon or good evening and welcome to the very first episode of the Big Footy Bombercast for season 2022. My name of course is Bonsa34 and to the dismay of many and the delight of probably only a small few, I will be your host for this episode and for the remainder of the season. However, we have had a small change up in the hosting format and I am now joined by my newly appointed co-host who will join me every week, a man you all know very well, the Grizz. How are you Grizz? Good. I'm excited to be here. The, the pay rise is a good one, so I'm excited to be a co-host in this year. Do you get paid more for this or oh, for modding the board? Uh, uh, probably more for the pod, which is to say double what I get for modding the board, which is nothing. But that's all right. I do it for the fun. Oh, so you don't do it for the love of big footy? Yeah, oh, I do love big footy, but uh, it is a lot of fun. And sometimes it can get a bit hairy, especially after a loss, but nah, it's all good fun. I just love talking about footy. All right, so we'll jump straight into the preseason sort of stuff, mate. For me, it's been a pretty quiet preseason for us. I mean, it's been a few articles pumping us up. I think I saw Corns said we could probably win the flag, which is always nice. But but other than really the intra club, I don't think I've actually seen much about Essendon this off season. Yeah, it's um, it's been a quiet one. I I've sort of preferred. Generally, the rags give us a pretty good run in the, the papers for one reason or the other. We're either shoe ins to make the four, or everything's going terribly, and we're gonna we're gonna uh, yeah finish bottom the ladder. But um, it's been good to have a sort of a, a quiet lead in. It was good to have a lot of guys back early. I think it was last year. Um, a lot of the senior guys came back in, in November when they didn't need to, and obviously hoping to build on what was a, a pretty good outcome. I thought last year, all considering, but. Uh, um, yeah, it's nice to have sort of just a quiet off-season for once and not be the focus of everyone's attention. Yeah, you're right. It, w- it was a pretty good result for us, I thought, last year. Although we did get bundled out first week, it was still nice to, to make the eight unexpectedly. But, of course, the focus um, of the last, probably last week, has been the intra-club. And I'll, I'll just say my, my very first takeaway, and I think it's one that's been echoed by many already, was the play of Jai Caldwell. Now, I'll be honest, I was a little bit bemused by GWS's tactics at the trade table for him. They, they very much dug their heels in and, and only caved at the last minute. But I tell you what, if the form he showed in the intra-club is replicated in the upcoming season, I can understand fully why GWS was so filthy to let him go. He, I mean, there was no possession stats available that, that I know of. There, there may be somewhere somebody may have kept them. But I, I would say in the time he played, he probably had 20 or so touches. He, he was just an absolute dominant midfielder and certainly got me very excited. I think he played well. I think the, the club released um, that in just under half of footy. He had 14 disposals, six tackles, a goal and a goal assist. So if you put that over the course of a game and it's basically, you know, what's that, um, 28, close to 30 touches, 12 tackles and a goal, you're going at a pretty good rate. He's similar size to maybe a Shield or a Parish, but he's a different type. He's much uh, sort of broader and, and much more of an inside sort of digger of a player, which is probably something we've needed against sort of the bigger midfields in the competition. But I think he just moved really well. I, I was surprised by how well he exploded from the stoppage. I always knew he could win the hard ball, but he moved pretty well on the outside. And there's going to be some competitions for spots this year going into the midfield. I think the, you know, the five or six guys you probably think are going to run through there at different points. But yeah, he was certainly very impressive. I quite enjoyed watching the Pracky to sort of see what our forward line looked out. 
looked like, sorry, with um, no Stringer, obviously no Waller for an unknown period of time. It was interesting to watch guys like Snelling play closer to the goal and Matt Guelphie was playing as a um, permanent forward. So it seemed we had the our best defence on our best forwards and our sort of seconds defence against our seconds forwards. Well, Matt Guelphie seemed to be playing permanent forward, so maybe that gives us an indication of what looks like going on into round one if, if Waller doesn't get back. Well, if we actually played forward a little bit last year too, I think there was a game against, I want to say Sydney, uh, where he actually came on as the sub and, and went forward. And he might have, he kicked, definitely kicked one goal that sort of got us a bit close. I think he even might have snagged a second one with the, with the fresh leg. So, yeah, Guelphie definitely does have a goal sense. And you're right, he certainly played more forward. And I think that's possibly going to have to be something that, that he's going to have to add to his game is that forward line craft. Because if, if you, as you said, you look through our midfield, at the moment it's pretty stacked. Uh, it's got great depth. So, so someone like him who is at best a midfield depth player, he's probably going to be pushed right out of there this year. And, and the only time he, he'll actually play midfield, I, I see on a regular basis if he's playing VFL. But someone like Matt Guelphie, there's just something about him that just to me, he's too good for VFL. So, so yeah, it, it was fascinating to, to see that unfold in the practice game. He's 10 out of 10 effort. And where the where the fluctuation comes is sort of the 3 out of 10 to 8 out of 10 execution. That might vary from week to week. But, you know, give it, and, and like with... We'll probably talk about this later about what we're looking forward to this preseason. But there's a spot up for grabs there, forward or centre at the moment, uh, particularly in the smalls department. But it'll be interesting to see how he goes. I, I thought there were some really interesting matchups. Um, Ridley versus Francis at points was <laughs> really good. Um, Ridley just looks like an absolute gun. Like we know he's good last year, but he looked absolutely out of this world over preseason towards the end of last year. So it'll be good to see how he goes and. Um, the ruck battle, Draper and Brian. I don't think I've been this excited about our, our ruck stocks for a long time, to be honest. No, no, and I, th- I think what the intra club really showed is, is that poor old Andrew Phillips is definitely now third in the pecking order. I mean, he did start the game in the ruck. He showed a lot of aggression, Andrew Phillips. Like, I, I quite liked his bash and crash tactics, and I think he gave away about three or four free kicks in the first sort of 10 minutes as he tried to stamp himself on the game. So it, it almost appeared to me that he knew he was third in line now, and yeah, Draper and Brian, I think, are going to be a great combination. And I think they can play together in the same side. I think Draper uh, has a great set of hands himself. And, and Brian certainly he played forward a lot in the practice game and, and showed enough to me that suggests he'll be able to rest forward. Um, I did sort of have a bit of a laugh because the uh, the commentator said at one stage that Draper's set shots were were average, and I'll be honest, I thought average is probably a little bit generous because poor old Sammy Draper did not did not have the best time in front of the sticks last year. But yeah, I look at those two guys and think there's absolutely room for them to play in tandem because they can both go forward, they can both clunk a mark, and and I mean you know, they're not going to have to be on the ground the whole time. So they will spend time on the bench. So if they can rotate those sort of three areas, have the two of them rotating between, you know, the ruck, the bench and and pinch hitting forward, there's no reason why those two can't play together. And if I was the club, I'm not sure about you, Chris, but if I was the club, I'd be trying to get that happening sooner rather than later because you don't want Draper to become used to being the number one dominant man who doesn't have to do anything else but ruck and then have to try and change his craft later on to fit Brian into the side. 
Yeah, and the other thing we know about young Ruckman is that clubs don't really draft and develop Ruckman any much nowadays. Like we have with those two, but that's more the exception than the rule. The risk is for me that you know if Brian doesn't get regular games, you know we know he got attention from Gold Coast last year. Um, there's a whole bunch of teams looking for a starting ruck, and considering so much of our forward line structure is in not disarray, but it is in such a fluid state that. You know, it's worth trying. And like, I think most Essendon fans would agree we're not winning a flag this year. So, you know, throwing a tandem of Brian and Draper in the same team for a couple of rounds, it's not going to hurt. And the reality is, like, we've, set, we've never really, Draper's never had a, a season where he's got through uninjured. So that backup is going to be really important. Yeah, the backup will be extremely important, as always. And, and I mean, at some point, you're right. Draper's history suggests he will have to miss a game or two, whether it be through soreness or the fact that we just need to rest him. Uh, so so Brian will most likely step in, I'd say. But again, because being the young Ruckman, Phillips being 39 doesn't necessarily mean he won't play this year. I still expect him to play probably half a dozen games. But yeah, I, I think we need to maybe pull the trigger because yeah, Brian will definitely have clubs come knocking if, if he starts to delivering on the talent that we think he has. And the other thing I, I liked watching coming out of the intra club was the way we moved the ball out of the back line. So obviously you know, Nick Hind, who as a side note, champion data, Nick Hind is elite, but Jordan Ridley is not, has got me absolutely baffled. But anyway, um, he came out, you know, with full pace and was able to run and bounce and deliver and do all the things he did. But when we didn't put the ball in his hands, we were very methodical in our approach. I thought we worked our way out very, very well. And, and again, it is intra-club, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But the pattern of the ball movement from the back line was very promising. It was When I say methodical, I don't mean it was stop-start. It was just very precise. They were able to hit the kick. They knew where the bloke was going to be. So they, they were able to just sort of turn and hit that 45 kick with confidence, which is something I don't think we've done all that well in the past probably five, six years in that we fly when we fly out of the back line, we look really good. But if we have to move slowly, which is, we just love bombing it up the line. Yeah. And like when you think about Essendon football for the last five years, a lot of it is, you know, that sort of kamikaze, as the commentators like to call it, style, where we just sort of sprint forward in numbers and hope it works out for the best. And um, where we saw, particularly last year, certainly when we were 17 to sort of 19, when we are trying to the battle for the bottom end of that eight, our ability to defend turnover was horrific. And that was because everyone was so aggressive in their forward movement, our defence, that everyone was sort of out of position if we ever turned it over. And when you're, you're moving at the speed we were, you're bound to turn it over. So... I think it's a very it's a very Richmond sort of style, which makes all the sense in the world considering your carousel and truck there, where you start it sort of slow until you get to about halfway, then you create the overlap with the hands. I suppose defending turnover, considering sixty percent of all scores in the AFL, I think over the last three years have come from turnover. You've got to try limit that and, and set yourself up in a way to defend if you do and. I think that's what that methodical sort of style does. And what it also is, you know, Hines really the only player with pace in our back line at the moment. So, you know, Ridley and Redmond are outstanding kicks of the footy, which probably lends itself more to that slower build-up style. Whereas, you're right, when we get it to Hind, I think the whole team just knows, all right, get your skates on, boys, we're off. I mean, I don't mind Redmond as, as, a, as a runner. I, I, think he's got, I think he's got a little bit of pace, but I also think you're right in that he's, he's kicking probably is a bit, 
deceptive in that way. So it makes him look quicker than he is because because his kicking is so pinpoint and can be so precise. The other thing I really enjoyed coming out of the intra club was was I liked the aggression they showed. So so the the boys did crack in and have a go, but they didn't actually try and kill each other. So it was it was nice to see. For example, uh, there was there was an incident there. In, in the first quarter where, where Zachy Merritt had the ball in the halfback flank and he turned to switch in board and he, he hit the kick and, and Devin Smith, you know, if it had been a game, Devin Smith would have killed him straight up the middle, cracked the ribs straight through him. But he still put Zach down, but he didn't hit, but he didn't hit him, you know, crazy hard to try and prove a point. So, so I think the boys took it relatively seriously, but I think at the same time, you know, they, they did, they did sort of hold back and, and just, just show a bit of sensibility. So, so we're not creating, you know, ridiculous injuries as a result of those those heavy contacts that just aren't needed in, in a preseason game. Was it Sam Lonigan that tackled someone or got tackled and broke his leg in like February if you like way back when I remember reading about that intra club match and poor guy broke his leg in a tackle. It might have been Sam Lonigan tackling someone which you know, not surprised someone broke their leg if Lonas um tackled you. But yeah, it's I suppose aggression's required because there's we're probably the healthiest we've been for a long time at this time of the year. So there's a lot of spots that are really hotly contested. I would say that there's our, our defense is probably pretty set. Um, our midfield sort of six is probably set, um, provided you know Coxie's foot's okay and he's getting his running up. He's probably got a wing sorted with Langford. It's it's really tight for spots. You're really battling it out for the bench spots and maybe a few forward spots. So the competition is fierce, but it's good to see, like you said, they're not going over the top and knocking guys out trying to be aggressive and impress the coaches. But, yeah, I think it's just when you're, when you're as healthy as we are at the moment, um, we were just only a couple of spot injuries and not really to anyone that's in the best 22 at the moment. Um, it creates real competition for spots, which is good. And that doesn't guarantee, you know, wins, wins straight off the bat, but it's better than the alternative. You do raise a good point because we are probably the healthiest we've been for a very long time. And I touch touch wood as I say that because I know full well, I think I said after, um, I, thought, I said to you the other day that we, we had a really healthy list and then, then the news came out about Stringer. But but really, it is just Jake and, and, and Tipper, as you mentioned earlier, who, who are probably best 22 that, that aren't going to be necessarily 100% come round one. Harry Jones, Langford, a few of the other boys that missed the intra-club, they're all in line to play against the Bulldogs next week. And I suppose the other thing is even Tipper is back training. Well, he tra- he did definitely train the day of the intra-club. I don't know if he's training consistently. So, so whilst he won't be available round one, you, know, you never know. He, he may be available come round three or four. We'll just wait and see. But, yeah, I mean, the injury list has been impressive uh, for us this, this year. And, and, and you look at other clubs that have already lost players for the season, you know, probably the big one, of course, being Ben King. So so we're definitely in a much better place than a lot of other clubs at the moment. Yeah, Sam Walsh with the um, syndesmosis as well, the dreaded syndesmosis. This is sort of that awkward time of year where you're so close to the season starting, but there's still a couple of weeks and a couple of matches to get through. Yeah, it's really only a stringer. And for him, it, it's sort of just a, a race for round one. If he's not round one, it sounds like he's almost a shilling to be round two or three. So yeah, luckily uh, we don't have to spend too much time on the injury front, unlike previous years where we we're sort of scratching a, a best 22 together that was relatively competitive. But I suppose one thing we're going to be looking to do at now is we've still got those two SSP spots that are available. We've, um, we've whittled down, I suppose, Dylan Clark, who, I, I, look, Dylan Clark's probably too good for VFL level, but he just has this fatal flaw 
in his play, which is his kicking is so incredibly flawed and they haven't been able to fix it. And he's been in the system for, for you know six or seven years now. But And Fajo, or Fajo? I don't. Oh, I feel like I'm saying that wrong. But, yeah, it just didn't look involved enough. He had, he had flashes with the ball, a bit of Terry Malira about him, um, the way he moved from Adelaide, I thought. Um, but uh, it just didn't get involved enough. Whereas um, I think is it down to Nick Martin? Uh, Nick Martin, yeah, Nicholas Martin and, and Tex Wanganeen, who I'm sure gets a lot of people excited when you hear about it. Yeah, look, with Dylan Clark, it does always surprise me a little bit when I read comments, especially on our board, about how stiff Dylan Clark is. The problem the problem Dylan Clark has is he plays a plays a sport called football. So he <laughs> needs to be, he needs to be able to actually move the ball by by foot. And there was it happened again in the practice game uh, at least three times that I saw where he was under minimal to no pressure. He had a simple kick, 15, 20-metre kick, and, you know, he put it a metre above the bloke's head. Like, he's, he's kicking is just not AFL standard. So you're, you're right. He's definitely too good to VFL level with his ability to win the ball, his tackling, his handball, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, if your kicking's not good enough, you can't play football. It, it's just that simple. And Ronald Fijo Jr. was the other one. And, yeah, I liked him early, and I actually thought he was going to be the one that would take the spot, especially when Tipper, uh, unfortunately, had to step away. I thought he was basically a lock, but but after watching the game um, last Wednesday, it, it's hard to go past Nick Martin. I mean, my, my heart says take Tex Wanganeen, but if, if we're only going to take one, then, then I would say Martin would have to be the one, but but I'll just say, Grizz, taking one to me is just madness. We have two good players there, Tex Wanganino, I think, deserves a shot after what he's done this preseason. Nick Martin clearly can play football. We have two spots. Take the two players. Don't don't wait for the mid-season. Oh, I just don't understand this whole, oh, but if we wait, we could get somebody better later. Just take what we have now. If somebody better comes along down the track, I'm sure we'd have all this spot open. There's, there's just no way that I see us getting to mid-year and not having somebody, you know, out for the rest of the year or or on the long-term injury list and, and, and unable to pick up another player in the mid-season draft. Yeah, well, we, you think about last year, like we had, um, we had, I think, three or four guys on the long-term injury list last year. We had Hurls, Draper, Shield, and Cordwell. The year before that, we had, Dra- not Draper, sorry, last year, but the year before that, we had Draper. Um, the year before that, we had a, a horrible smattering of injuries halfway through the year. Like the, the reality is we're likely to get at least one. And for me, like the teams that hold a spot open for the mid-season draft uh, are the ones that are competing. So you hold that open so you can potentially top up mid-year with a, a specific need to help you get through the rest of the year. But when you're in a team like Essendon at this point, we're not winning the flag. It's really about developmental gains for our players this year. I just look at it and go, like, the more darts you throw at the dartboard in terms of collecting talent, the better. And I just get this horrible feeling that if we let Martin go, he'll go back to WA and he's almost guaranteed to get snapped up by someone in WA. One of the two teams in WA will get him. In Tex, you know, if he, if he comes through and... Um, has a good year in the VFL or at Oakley, whatever, and he gets to the end of the year. Who says someone doesn't pick him up in the mid-season draft or bid on him in the national draft? He can go to Port Adelaide. They can snap him up if we don't. Like It's just considering that they both showed plenty of promise, I don't see why we wouldn't just take both and, and just see what they look like with an extra year of AFL development into them. But I thought Martin, I was surprised that he was listed at 190. He didn't, he didn't look that big, but he just moves so well and... 
one of those players who are just consistently in the right position. And I thought Tex, you know, like I said, there's that small forward spot open. Um, there's a whole bunch of guys there that could potentially fill it. You're talking about guys like Guelphie, but also, you know, Tom Hurd's there, Tex Wanganine, maybe a Nick Martin, you know, Devin Smith's play deeper, does Snelling play? Like, there's a spot open there. And the more stabs you have at it, the more likely we are to find an AFL standard player. And so I'm hoping they take both, but who knows? <laughs> it's... Uh, who knows what is going on in the mind of Adrian Dodoro. It's a good point you raise about the fact that come the end of the year, somebody else could snap them up because once we hit the draft again, we obviously don't have first rights. So, so to have them under our nose and to let them go, it, it's just a, it's a risk that I don't think is worth taking at the moment. I think take them now and, and we'll see, see how everything unfolds. But the thing I, I, I must admit that I'm looking forward to this season, and you did sort of mention it before, we probably have a, a settled midfield six. It's going to be interesting just to see how everybody fits into the midfield. Now, there was a lot of talk on the board last year, especially when we got Hobbs, that have we got too many of the same player? Well, I don't think that's true at all. I don't think you, you can never have too many contested ball-winning midfielders, despite what some posters may think. But if you if you look at the, the midfield, so you've got Merritt, Parrish, Shield. Caldwell, now you've got Hobbs in there. They can't all start in there. So so you look at it and go, well, who's going who's going to have to come out? So obviously you, you could put a couple on the bench. You did mention before you have Cox on one wing and Langford on the other, which is true. But then I also think you need to start looking at someone like Zach Merritt, push him to a wing. Oh, it's, it's controversial, but it does allow him to have that little bit more space for his footwork. The other one, obviously, is McGrath. Now, we all know McGrath is an elite defensive player. So again, do we move somebody like that around to open up more spots into the midfield? Or, or do you think we, we just play our midfielders as midfielders and we rotate them off the bench and, and let the chips fall where, where they land? Because obviously somebody like Devin Smith, if Devin Smith goes into the midfield this year, it'll be because we have a mass stacked injury list, not because Devin Smith should be in there. And then obviously Stringer will have to go into the middle at the start of um, the centre bounces when he comes back, but he doesn't play there throughout the throughout the, the, the quarters or the, the live game, I suppose, as you can call it. Yeah, I, if Jeff Smith is playing serious midfield minutes, it's here, sound the alarm, we are tanking. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's interesting. Um, I think the way that the AFL sets up at the moment, particularly at stoppage, the three nominal midfielders, I think, sometimes can be a bit of a misnomer. Like, you, you look at, say, a, a stoppage at centre wing, you'll see the half-forward push-up, you'll see the, the short side or the wingman who's the contest is on their wing, they'll come in as a midfielder, the half-backs will push up. You, you'll look around and all of a sudden there's eight players around the ball. And so even though it's nominally only three midfielders, there'll be times where you'll have all six of them around the football because they'll be named nominally at half forward and they'll push up to create, you know, either a kick ahead or a kick behind those stoppages. And I don't know, I just feel like when I thought about Richmond, I keep comparing to Richmond, but that's because Truck and Carousel, you think about their midfield, they had guys like, you know, Martin, Cochin, Edwards, Lambert, you know, um, Sean Griggle, they had their midfield batted seven or eight deep and they never sort of struggled to fit time for all of them. So I'm not too worried about that. And, and the reality is you'll get injuries, you'll get form slumps, and, and they rotate so often nowadays. I think the fact that Merritt, Shield and McGrath, oh, sorry, Merritt, McGrath, and yeah, Shield, sorry, has been practising forward by all reports, is that actually helps the team because you can rotate them through the midfield um, and save yourself a bench rotation. So that's actually sort of a, a really helpful thing in a lot of ways, and they can still all play midfield. I'm, 
I'm not too worried. My only my only question about the same type of midfielder is sort of size. And we've seen it against bigger midfielders um, and bigger midfields in general. You think of teams like Geelong and the Western Bulldogs. They can sort of push us around a bit too much. But I think, one, um, having a big solid Ruckman in Draper helps that. But two, that really only matters sort of at stoppages because in general play, you don't really care about the size. And at most stoppage situations, we'll have you know, a Cole Langford or a Jake Stringer in there anyway to provide that girth. So I'm, I am fascinated to see what the first sort of choice is. So, you know, 30 seconds or less on the clock, we need a clearance to score to win whoever three guys are putting in there. Um, that would be interesting. But uh, yeah, I think the midfield mix is one thing that is going to be really interesting going, going on this year. And for me, the thing to look forward to is the forward line. You know, Jones is sort of coming back from a slight foot issue, but he looks right for round one. Aaron Francis, Peter Wright, what does our mix look like? Do we bring in a Brian, like you said? Look, it, there's really no set forward line here, except for it looks like Jones and, and Wright will play when fit. And so I think midfield and defence is sort of set in terms of how we're going to set up personnel and structure-wise, but I'm really looking forward over the next couple of games to see what our forward line looks like. Our forward line will be will be interesting to see because you're right. I do think that Jones and Wright are the the two that are set. But mentioning the forward line sort of brings me to the next thing that I that I think we'll mention before we wrap up for tonight, mate. And that that is the players that we're excited or, or and concerned about for the year. So, so I'll start with the bloke I'm most excited about. And that is Aaron Francis. You, you mentioned him then. I think this is Aaron Francis's year. I, I I don't think he's ever had a preseason uh, where his body or, or his position or, you know, just just his mental state has been 100% hasn't seemed to have any distractions or waivers. You know, we've always had that. Is he playing forward? Is he playing back? Well, this year they've said you're playing forward and that's where they've left him. You know, he's always had those niggling little injuries and he's spent weeks out in the preseason or he's gone home a couple of times or all that sort of stuff. That hasn't happened to him this this preseason, so I, I am very excited to see how Aaron Francis looks this year, because because I think he could take the competition by storm, and I think he could be the the thirty goal um, year forward who also has a ton of assists and is that real link up danger player, sort of like I suppose what um, Tom Lynch did for. Adelaide, the the Adelaide version, you know, he he was very much the the third banana behind Tex Walker and, and Josh Jenkins. Yeah, I wonder if playing as a third tall will actually suit his abilities best. I think when he tries to play as a key position player, he'll be slightly undersized and he can sort of get lost between what his role is. So, for example, if he's playing fullback, it's how much do I guard my man? How much do I just play the footy? Whereas third tall forward. You know, Wright and Jones are there. It's the structural pieces. You're there basically to read the footy and fly for it, which will sort of suit him down to the ground. And we know that he contains so much X factor. His ability to beat people one-on-one, to take the ball in the air. He's, you know, a prodigious kick of the footy when um, he gets hold of it. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he looks like. I think you're right. You made a really good point about how he often just sort of flip-flops from one end of the ground to the other, whereas he seems to have gotten a really solid block of time in the one area of the ground. And he's, what is he? He'd be 25 this year, so 2015 draftee. This is sort of when... You know, six or seven years in the system, if you're going to make it as a tall forward, this is sort of the year to take off. And I'm really looking forward to him. Um, the guy I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of is sort of Nicholas Cox. And I think he's 
apparently put on, you know, uh, he's 95 kilos now, which I, I call a little bit of BS on, considering that would mean he's put on 15 kilos in a summer. But he certainly looks bigger. And I think he probably took a battering last year and teams were sort of figuring out how to work him over physically um, in the contest. And if he can, he, he's tipped the pie in the wing. If he can be this, you know, 199 centimetre, 90 kilo wingman from that can you know outrun anyone half his size. We have a crazy mismatch potential, particularly on, on sort of quick clearances outside of our defensive 50 and his ability to fold back into D50 if we need him to. So I'm really looking forward to Nicholas Cox. And from a, a greater perspective, I mean, last year we were the worst team in the competition in terms of allowing teams to exit our forward 50 and get an inside 50 of their own. So from our forward 50 to our D50, I think we allowed teams to do that 25% of occasions that they rebounded the ball outside of our D50, which was worse by a long way. So I think um, more than just sort of the forward line or individual players, it'll be really interesting to see how we defend as a group this year because we know that sort of trucks um, 14. I have a feeling the whole 12 kilos or 15 kilos you said, I think that's, they weighed him at the, st- at the start of last year. So they're saying from the start of last year to now, he's put that sort of weight on it. Or what, oh. what I call, yeah. And, and so where I call BS is, is where he says he has he actually hasn't noticed because I don't know about you, Grizz, but when I put on 10 or 15 kilos over COVID, mate, I absolutely noticed where, where it, when it came on. So I can't see how he hasn't noticed that. But, mate. <laughs> uh, but it's a good point you raise about Cox, and it will be great to watch. I suppose if I had to pick a player I was going to be concerned about, though, and it's a little bit of an out-of-the-box concern, it is actually Nick Cox, Harry Jones, and Archie Perkins. I'll say for the three of them. And that's simply because last year they there was no expectations, and they absolutely defied our expectations and all played really good football at different times. And the supporters loved them. And I'm just concerned that there'll be the second year, or in Harry Jones's case, the third year Blues, where where maybe they don't come on as much as, as we're expecting or as much as people are going to think. And, and yeah, love or hate Essendon supporters, the reality is they are an incredibly fickle bunch. And so... <laughs> If if Cox and Perkins and Harrison Jones don't automatically improve on last year, I can just start seeing a little few snarky comments coming in around the traps. And, and, and so from my point of view, I hope that doesn't happen because because mental health in, in the AFL is, is huge these days. It's not just, you know, it's huge in life. It's it's something that we're, we're more open and willing to talk about. And we don't have to have like suffer suffer in silence anymore. So so I just hope that, you know, we've all got a little bit more, a bit of respect about they're still young players. They're still developing. They might not come on as quickly as we hope. So let's let's just give them a chance and, and not overreact if things don't quite go their way this year. Yeah, I, I would hope so. I would hope that most system supporters would understand that we're, we're a developing team and a huge part of our development will be developing these young guys. And, and the reality is second-year teams is just as much about um, other teams figuring out who you are and planning for you. And so I, I would, I'm would i not expecting fireworks from them this year. I expect they'll have you know three or four really good games in a row then they'll go missing for a month. And you know, one thing that they won't have, oh, sorry, one thing that they didn't have last year that they will have this year, it's a VFL hopefully. So they are in a bit of a slump. They don't have to sort of suffer at AFL level or sit out for a month without any game. They can go and work on their game, which will be really helpful. But, yeah, I just like watching young guys run around, so I'm excited for them. Um, if, I, if I'm if i worried about anyone 
this might be a little bit left to centre. It'll probably be big Peter Wright. Um, I think he's going to shoulder a huge amount of um, responsibility for the centre this year. Um, and the spectre of his seven-goal performance against the Bulldogs sort of will, loom, will sort of be this poison chalice for him. Everyone will be going, oh, why isn't he kicking seven goals against everyone? Whereas I think it's going to be really hard because, again, teams aren't going to be surprised by him anymore. They're going to go, okay, that guy can beat us um, if we give him a free run at the footy. And so it'll be a real hard slog for him. He'll be who Hooker was at the early parts of last year and in twenty sort of 2020 where he was just sort of the focal point that was getting beaten up every week. And so I'm really hoping he can work through that because it's structurally he's so important to what we want to do this year. That's a good point you raised there because because Peter will, will ha- certainly have a lot more of attention on him this year. But the teams will also have a lot to do on Harris and Jones. And I think the other thing is, as we spoke about Francis, is if, if they're getting some attention and Francis can be that really good third target, then it, it does just show that we've just got that little bit of depth that, that maybe we haven't had for a while. But but we'll, we'll call it a night there, uh, Chris. Thank you thank you for uh, joining me this evening and also for, for signing up as the, the new co-host of the podcast. No worries. Thank you for having me. So we will we will have another episode uh, quite possibly next week. We'll see how we go after the Bulldogs game. We may even wait until after our second preseason game. But if you do like the podcast, of course, guys, can you all please remember to, to like and subscribe? Uh, it, it does help us when we have more likes, more subscribers. It, it just helps us get more listeners. And, and so if you could all please remember, like and subscribe. Thank you all once again for listening. <laughs> <laughs>